Hey friends, this is Shadima, also known as the Type A Hippie, and this is the Type A Hippie Podcast, Chicast episode 77. And this is actually the first recording, you all will hear it when you hear it, but it's the first recording of 2018, and I'm on with one of my dearest friends, Danette Galvis. Welcome, Danette, to the podcast. Thank you, thank you. So I have Danette on. She is the second episode that we're taping in the Stories of Sobriety 10 episode arc of people living in recovery. And um, I just love her heart. I love who she is. I got an opportunity to hang out with her and her family not too long ago. Um, And she's just one of my favorite people. And so it's such a joy and a gift that she said yes to um, coming on the podcast and sharing her story. So I'm going to turn it over to her so she can tell you briefly a little bit about herself in her own words. Okay. Hi. Um, You know, just a story of recovery. That is a long long story because it's not just a instant process for people that are struggling with even owning up to the fact that they may have a struggle or may have a problem. And that was part of my story before. Um, I live in Dallas, Texas. Um, I am married almost 11 years, have a 10-year-old daughter. And my life before marriage um, was uh, of a single woman, right? Like many of us are, but uh, I wasn't really in a relationship much, more dating, but more in that scene of going out hoping that I might find the guy of my dreams at the party scene or at the different social events that you do when you're a working individual and doing happy hours and weekends. And um, I was in sales, so there was a lot of client entertaining as well. So it led me to be in the atmosphere of drinking, in the atmosphere of happy hours, in the atmosphere of oh goodness, I feel like crud the next day, but yet that was part of my role as a sales manager and, and also just leading or servicing a, um, you know, a, a group of clients that wanted to do happy hours and it was on the company that I worked for. So drinks are on me kind of, uh, kind of uh, avenue I was given. And it's interesting because I didn't necessarily know I had a problem until I had a child. <laughs> Um, you know, going through pregnancy, that was easy to stop drinking. But after giving birth and wanting to get back into going and doing dinners and being social and having wine, it became a roller coaster. I didn't know what was going to happen from one uh, dinner event to the next. Um, I could have two drinks and be like really buzzing or, you know, usually my limit was pretty high. I could have Uh, six drinks and be fine and then the next night have six drinks and then be blacked out so it was a what I thought at the time was a hormonal problem (laughs) because I gave birth and just had a baby but um, I uh, realized shortly that I had become uh, pretty much a blackout drinker and um, most every night ended with me falling down or um, me passing out or not remembering most of anything. I wasn't really drinking to get, uh, to take the edge off. I was drinking to get drunk. And um, that is where it began. My daughter, again, like I said, is 10 years old. So my sobriety journey started about eight years ago, just before she turned two, when my family came to me and said, you 
having a problem. Um, it was also a, an insurance test for life insurance that I had applied for that said I had a high functioning liver or my liver um, counts were high. And I'm like, oh, I didn't even know. Uh, what's that mean? So it led to the conversation with my family that I drank too much and um, uh, given ultimatums of either you stop drinking or I'm taking our child away or divorce was in the picture. And um, that's not something I was looking for or wanted, right? We don't want to have a, a baby and bring it up on its own, on your own as a single parent. But I started to begin searching what sobriety or a life of not drinking looked like. And I didn't like it, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, to say the least. I, I what, what made you, when you say you didn't like it, why didn't you like it or what was? I am extremely social. Sure. And um, going to uh, events or neighborhood dinners or hosting dinners or just being in community or in some kind of relation outside of um, being home all day with my two-year-old, um, I was out. Like, I was out every night prior to um, being married and having a baby. And so, um, yeah, I guess that answers your question. Totally. Um, okay, so what made it? So I think you might have been going there. What turned things around? Because how long have you been sober, Danette? So, yes, that's where, where I was going in the timeline of trying to do this sobriety life. Sure. The ultimatum brought me to um, a recovery program at my church, and it was a weekly meeting, a, a weekly, you know, group. Um, and I did it. Now I know it as white knuckling. Um, I did it because I was pissed that I was even being given an ultimatum. And sobriety at that point lasted for about two years. Um, and um, I was just a bitter, angry woman. And it was all directed towards my husband, mostly. Sure. Um, and so uh, after a, a vacation we had with another family, uh, the, the wife, they were drinking and it was a home we rented. And I'm like, I just want to partake in a glass or two to enjoy a glass of wine with my girlfriend, you know, outside on this view and our kids are playing. And, and I thought at that point that I could manage. And so my husband and I both started to drink a little bit, but soon it just progressed, right? It got worse. Um, a lot of my time was alone at home. My husband has a business and um, manages actually quite a few different businesses, but he is at the office a lot. So being at home, it was a party of one. Um, drinking midday or when dinner time was, you know, you, you cook and you have a glass of wine. That was kind of the beginning of the evening for me. And then after my daughter was in bed, it was chug a lug, uh, for lack of better words, it would just be me alone. And um, uh, it progressed. And of course, it becomes a habit. Of course, it becomes a craving. My body's craving that sugar and, and just that physical action of the glass to your mouth. Like it was really, uh, there's so many things that contribute to having it daily. Sure. So you all started drinking again. Um, and you've kind of fueled the obsession or the craving or the, you know, whatever. So how the mm -hmm. void, right? Um, and fueling these other things and attempting to fill the void. So how did you move from 
getting right back into it, right back where you were before to a new you or. Well, you know, it was actually quite a few years of trying this piece of, okay, I won't drink for a month or I won't drink for three months or, you know, I just was fighting that ultimatum constantly. Um, But it became, I guess now three years ago, um, there were a series of events of, of, I guess, trauma in my marriage, struggling in my marriage, and then um, trauma that happened a night that was um, full of drinking. And um, I went on a downward spiral from there. Um, It was through summer, and I could just feel my body dying inside it similar to like just my soul was just getting darker and darker and um, there was no way out I felt no way out and I didn't care and I was um, again drinking every single night uh, waking up every morning with somewhat of a shake but somewhat not it was weird that my body was uh, sometimes I would have a sickness or, or throw up but really I wasn't so I thought I was okay but in that, you know, you start to get some of the shakes where you have to have a drink the next morning just to stop that shake. It was a constant feeding of that um, nursing the hangover. Um, at 11 a.m., I'd have a glass of wine for lunch, and that would kind of help it. But then once you start drinking a glass or two, then you're like, oh, it's three. Okay, well, I'll go get my daughter, and I'll come back, and it will be 3.30 or 4, and I'll continue my, my buzz. Um, So it was, if I were to count, I think the most wine I had in one day was 14 glasses. And when we do the math on that, that's three bottles. It was a lot. Um, But every morning waking up counting how many I had or trying to remember what I said or what I did or um, I uh, just fought my husband mostly on it. And there was a, my daughter's birthday where I, then again, we were at a hotel and I don't remember anything that happened after she went to bed and the ultimatum came again where I was resistant and you can't make me and da, 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 da. But, um, he was wanting me to go to treatment. And so I guess that day I sat and we sat in the car driving back home from her birthday weekend and I just came to terms. Okay. I need help. I I don't want to die. I feel my insides responding to the abusive alcoholism I had with wine. That was my choice of of drink. Um, And then uh, I told my husband, okay, I'll try treatment. My daughter was seven, so she was um, easier to be like for mom to be away for 30 days as much as that is still hard for a seven-year-old my husband was going to be able to manage it with school and pick up and drop off and everything that involved for you know being a stay-at-home dad so i uh, did the research i did not want anybody to do it for me Uh, i found the place that worked well for our medical insurance um the only thing i asked my husband to do was take me to the airport And I got on the plane and um, was picked up by the treatment center and was there for 30 days and then a sober house for 30 days after that. So treatment for 60 days before I came home. And um, honestly, that time and treatment really woke me up in a way that was great because there was a lot of people that were in treatment for like their seventh time or their third time or something just a long term uh what do they call it serial uh, i can't remember there was a, a little term that they used for someone that goes to treatment time after time 
And um, it just woke me up. I called my husband one day uh, during our allotted call time, and I said, I'm going to die from this disease. I don't know how I'm going to get out of it. And it, well, I mean, it shook me. And um, just hearing everyone's stories and feeling so humbled because I'm grateful my story didn't involve legal issues. My story didn't involve hurting someone else. There were many times where I drove with my daughter and I shouldn't have because I was buzzed or, um, you know, just obviously had been drinking. So um, treatment for me was a gift from God. It was a wake-up call that I embraced and I had a, my roommate in treatment said, Danette, you're a one and done <laughs> Like this is, I see you as someone that's going to get into treatment and, and it's going to be your only time. And now, Chidima, my, uh, I've been almost two and a half years sober. That's awesome. Congratulations. It's a big deal. And anyone that comes on this program that shares about their recovery I always want to take a moment to pause and congratulate them because that's not everyone's story. And so that's a really beautiful thing. Um, I appreciate when people are willing to share because someone out there is, is dying of the disease. Right. And it's just a matter of, you know, us pausing, I think long enough to hear our stories and to understand that, there is no set um, person that is, right, could need this help. Um, so what is your life like now that you've stopped drinking for the last two and a half years? What would you characterize? Because um, I know that we are going to wrap up our time together shortly, but what kind of hope or what can you leave with listeners um, in terms of what your recovery has afforded you or what your life looks like now? Yeah. So, um, coming back in to this home space after recovery, it was a rattling experience. I think I had tremors for a couple of days of just being nervous of being home and back in that triggering area that, um, you know, you're warned about, you know, getting back into the world. So I just took action in uh, changing my habits, changing my playmates, changing my playground, as they say, and, and got into the healthy lifestyle that I once had, which is exercise and healthy eating and, um, you know, getting on a program for weight loss and um, changing everything I knew in regards to my daily routines. I also began to speak up about it. That was one thing I was so ashamed of saying or announcing. I'm saying, hi, my name is Danette, and I'm an alcoholic. I didn't want to say that word alcoholic, but I have embraced this community in that I can be a voice for it. I started posting on social media about my recovery and celebrating it in the way of if I can help someone else, if they need to talk for a minute to, to hear my story or ask questions about next steps for themselves, I really have and I get chills just even saying that because someone called me yesterday from a Facebook post and, and really opened up for the first time ever, even just typing that message to me. She said I was trembling and crying because I hadn't admitted yet that I had a problem. And so we talked for an hour and 15 minutes yesterday. And it is a beautiful experience of relating to others, of serving others, and um, just now not being ashamed of my story. Like I, in my mind the other day, I don't know where this came from, but I thought I've done everything but heroin, 
prostitution and joining the Mile High Club. <laughs> Silly, because I did a lot in my drinking days, drugs, um, after parties, cocaine was my drug of choice, which led to the over drinking because you feel like you can drink like a fish when you're on that drug. And um, I believe that's what made the, the disease progress so quick for me after I gave birth and was married. I wasn't doing cocaine anymore, but I was still drinking like a fish like that had not switched off. So um, I will share with anyone the dirty <laughs> piece of my story um, and everything that happened. There was sexual trauma. There was um, prom promiscuity. Um, you know, I, I was a girl that was on my own everywhere I went. I had my own car because I didn't want to be bounded by someone else driving. And I put myself in some bad situations or I'm, I'm uh, walking down the streets of Seattle by myself going to the after party, you know, whatever. That was just not safe for me. But, you know, now again, like I say, I embrace it. I am not afraid. And um, I am so grateful for those that have reached out for any little bit of information or help I can give. That's awesome. So I just want to um, say, because many of you know that I support those in recovery. I also support those who um, have survived sexual assault and domestic violence, as well as people um, that are living with mental illness. And so to piggyback off of what Danette says, Oftentimes I've heard on this program and through my research that people have put themselves in inopportune situations or unsafe situations as a result of being under the influence of something, mm -hmm. whether it's alcohol, drugs, or both. And so, yes, that is a fact. And at the same time, as an advocate for all, I want to proclaim really loudly, it still doesn't give anyone the right to take advantage of that situation and not get consent that's verbal consent so please know that even if you have contributed by being under the influence of something and being in an unsafe environment whether by yourself or other people you did not ask for any type of sexual assault or sexual harassment or sexual abuse as yeah. a result of that so i just want to really be clear about that um, because I appreciate, Danette, what you're saying in terms of taking accountability and responsibility for your actions, and that is very noble. And anything that has happened to you, and I'm sorry that that was your experience, that was not your fault because you weren't in a position to say, yes, this is what I want. Um, so I just wanna thank you so much for being so honest and vulnerable and sharing, and it's such a beautiful story that someone reached out to you. It's always nice, a lot of times we put things out there and we say, please let me be helpful to you. And people don't take advantage because maybe they don't believe us, but it's such a beautiful and holy thing that someone said, I trust her enough to disclose this very uncomfortable um, thing that is a secret, right? And was almost probably a secret to herself too. One that she just kept with herself and wasn't able to fully disclose and be honest with self which is oftentimes what a lot of these things, you know, a lot of the stigmas around the silence, right? That's the biggest and, step. Totally, totally. It's so true. Um, and so it's so amazing um, that she trusted you enough to say this person has said that she could be helpful to me, and she was. So it, thank you so much for coming on. I so appreciate you, and I love – um, some of that stuff I didn't know. And so it's always cool to have friends on the podcast because I learned something new about them. 
Um, and I know that your story is going to help listeners out there who may not realize that what they're doing is actually a problem or may realize it and may not may finally be ready to admit it. So thanks. You know, I, I want to interject though, Shadima, sure. the one thing I learned in treatment is the, for lack of better words, epidemic of moms of uh, moms having play dates and drinking and wine time and mommy juice or whatever you want to call that's it. Right. It is an area of concern for the world. And um, that's what I was. And that is what I have had to walk away from because there's of course many moms in the community I'm in with my daughter's school that still do those things. And that's okay, but it, it can be a very dangerous road for some moms that are struggling in other areas that that is their go-to vice. That's right. It, That's it is something to be brought up. Brought up. Yeah. No. Thank you for. Yeah. It it has become such a commonplace, and I think that's one of the reasons that alcohol is the problem that it is. It's legal, so people yeah. turn their noses up on marijuana and yeah. on cocaine or on meth um, and other things, but they don't turn their noses up in the same way because alcohol is legal and it's offered in restaurants, and you can actually purchase it without any fear or shame. Um, the only caveat of that is if you have a problem and you start to circle and go to different places to get your booze, but most people go to the same place and they have a party or they have wine that sits there forever and they're not having the problems that other people do. And so even on our clothing, it's like, I run for the wine. I've seen that on a tank top before, you know, um, similar to what we people talk about with coffee, but it's different because I, I don't know. I mean, a medical doctor can probably speak to this more. I know that overindulging in coffee, like too much of anything is too much, right? So coffee is probably not great either. However, there is something that happens to people, um, people's chemical biology um, in the brain and pleasure centers does change as a result of alcohol being introduced to it in a way that's similar to sugar, that's similar to heroin and cocaine. And so we do need to be mindful as a society of what we're promoting and what is acceptable. And so if you don't have a problem with alcohol, more power to you. However, if you do, just be mindful, you know, that um, these messages are overwhelmingly out there. And you're right, day drinking has become a thing. I lived in Las Vegas for almost 10 years. And people would be by the pool drinking, you know, all the time. And so that was a thing. And that's extended to so many different um, places. And people feel like that is an okay way to relax, relax and unwind. And one, again, one term that's used in the mom world is purse wine. I've got my purse wine, which are those little cheap old Behringer wines in case you get stuck in a moment and you're anxious, you could just go, take a swig of your purse wine. So yeah. it is, yeah. it, it's going in every way. And, and one thing about the, the mind that you mentioned, that's the one thing that really caught me in treatment is the fascination of this disease of the mind. Yeah. And I didn't realize how much of a medical uh, sure. disease that it is and yeah. what it's triggering. And for alcohol, for me, might be um, shopping or we talk about sure. the game in all the other areas that can be of addiction. So it's a, it's a conversation to have of just recovery of your mind. Absolutely. Well, thank you again. I'm glad yeah. that you came on. Um, thank you. Of course. So friends, we are going to, I just picked a story. Um, and it's actually ironic that this is the first story I saw in 
Humans of New York. And so it says, I used to drink beer every once in a while. And this appears to be a man in maybe his 40s, 50s. That was all. But several members of my family died in a few years' time. The worst was my brother. He was younger than me. And after his death, I lost all control. Now I can't stop drinking. I'll quit for a few weeks at a time, but then I'll get this feeling. Let me have a little bit today. Then I'll drink continuously for five or six days until the shivers kick in. It's ruining my health. It's causing me to neglect my work. My family is ashamed and I live with a constant feeling of doing wrong, but I can't stop. And even if I did, I feel like I'm too old and it's too late. So this is a man in a person in Jaipur, India, J-A-I-P-U-R, India. So it just shows you that alcoholism, which I believe is a self-diagnosed um, illness, but having a problem with drinking and other substances is a worldwide thing. And so it's not relegated to any demographic. So that means that we all get to be a part of the solution. So if you are struggling, friends, please reach out to me. I have a list of resources on my website. Um, I actually wrote a blog post about different resources, and so I'll include that in the show notes here so that you can just click on that blog post and see a number of different 12-step recovery programs um, and others because I believe in a multiple, path, multiple pathways of, um, of recovery. Everything Recovery is not a one-size-fits-all, just like diet and nutrition, right, uh, or exercise plans. So it's important to find what works for you. But please, please know that I support you, um, I along with other recovery advocates. And so it's really important if you find that you are in this place, this jumping off place of you need to do something different with your life, please know that I'm in your corner. Danette's in your corner and plenty of other people that support recovery. So thank you all for being here. Um, it's good to be back recording the podcast. And one more thing. So I honor the place within you where the entire universe resides. I honor the place within you of love, of light, of truth, of peace. I honor the place within you where when you are in that place in you and I am in that place in me, there is only one of us. So... Have a gratitude-filled rest of your day, friends. A great week. My name is Chidima, and this is the Type A Hippie Podcast, Cheekcast, Episode 77. Thanks so much for the love and support. Until next time, namaste.